if you have your Bible tonight, and I hope that you do. If not, there's probably one somewhere around here that you can find. But we're in Ephesians chapter 2, so go ahead and turn there. It's Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to go ahead and read the text today. We're going to focus on verses 1 through 10. Remember last week we kind of saw salvation really almost from God's perspective, right? Kind of this high view down. He chose us in Him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world. That we would be holy and blameless and pure in His sight. All right, so He provided such a great salvation for us. Redemption in Christ through the blood, through His blood, the blood of His Son, all of that last week that he did for us. And this week we are looking at it sort of a different view. And as we read it, I want, to think about, I want you to think about your experience, where you came from and what he saved you out of. Because I think we get almost a more relatable view today. It's, it's our story. This is what happened to us. And so think about that as we read it. But let's start in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. It says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even we were dead in our transgressions made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of work so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Amen. This is God's word for us tonight, church. This is such a beautiful passage, isn't it? I have used this passage to share the gospel I don't know how many times. And I was able to walk through this again this morning with someone. And I'm just thankful for this passage. I have shared, uh, pe- shared Christ with people in Peru with this in Spanish. It was one of the first passages I memorized in Spanish. And then when we got to Turkey, you know what? One of the first things I began to try to memorize? This passage. You know why? Because I knew we went there for a reason. We weren't just there to hang out. We wanted to be able to share Jesus with people. And I think we see such a clear picture of the gospel with this. Now, normally when I share Christ out of this passage, I will use it. I'll go through it. We'll talk about how salvation is a free gift. And then I'll jump into Romans and begin to kind of walk through some of those verses. Hey, we're all sinners, right? We're all in the same boat. And you begin to walk through this until you see, man, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. It's a promise, isn't it? And we work our way towards that. But we get tonight, we're in Ephesians chapter 2. And it begins with this. Look at verse 1. It says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And I want to ask you guys tonight, what does that mean? We're lost. Okay, was, were they physically dead? It, they're not physically dead. How do we know? Well, for one thing, it says they were walking in these sins later, right? So, did dead people walk? 
Not generally, right? I mean, maybe if you're watching, yeah, if you're watching TV and some kind of zombie movie, Frankenstein, I don't know, maybe. But in real life, the dead people walk? Well, Jesus did, but he was resurrected. He wasn't still dead, was he? He was resurrected. He was alive again. So it says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Now, we could go all the way back into the garden, into Adam and Eve, to get an idea of what this is like. Uh, listen, well, I won't go back into all this. Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17 says this. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. Right? Now, we know they lived in paradise with God. All they had to do was not eat from that tree, and yet they rebelled, and they did it anyway. So what was the consequences of their sin? They would surely die. Did they die that day? Spiritually, they did. And physically, they began to die, but their physical death did not happen that day. It would take uh, a lot more years because they lived to a ripe old age, didn't they? So we see in the text, listen, there's something that we're, it's spiritual death, separation from God, where sin has come in, done its work from us. And we know that since Adam, all of us have sinned. And we were waiting for a Savior, someone to rescue us from this. Listen to Romans 5, chapter 12 and 14. It says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned, for until, until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Listen, what that tells us is, since Adam and Eve, every one of us is a sinner, right? And it begins, this passage begins with the bad news. It says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And now it's going to go in and talk, what do we mean by trespasses and sins? What, what are we talking about? How, are, how did that cause us to be dead? Look at verse 2. Thinking about our trespasses, which means we willfully violate the law of God and sins. You put those two words together, and we're just talking about all forms of sin, right? Sin that you willfully commit, you knowingly commit. Sins of omission, things that maybe you just didn't do that you should have. Uh, there's sin that we all find. But look at verse 2, talking about trespass and sins. It says, in which you formerly walked. Now, who's he talking to? Is he talking to lost people in this letter? He's talking to the church, isn't he? He's talking to us, and he says, you were dead in your trespass and sins. It's a reminder of where you came from. It says, you formerly walked in them. Now, walking in Scripture is an interesting word. Anybody remember a man named Enoch? In the Old Testament, it says that he walked with God. And then the Lord took him up. He just wasn't here anymore, right? He went home to be with the Lord. Now, when he says, it says that Enoch walked with God, what does it mean? All right, so yeah, he, he lived his life in a way that was righteous and good. He was trying to follow Christ or God. Uh, Christ wasn't here yet. But listen, was Enoch a sinless man? No. But was he characterized as being a, a good man, a God-fearing man, one who was trying to follow him? Yes. The word walk is often iterative. That means it, 
It's a repeated pattern in his life. Was He was following the Lord. Now, when we find this in verse 2, it says, You formerly walked in your trespasses and sins. It means our daily life was characterized by trespasses and sins. And that was our natural uh, place, our natural intuition, our natural inclination is the word I'm looking for there. Adam and Eve sinned. That sin passed down to us. We all find ourselves, by nature, sinners. It says we formerly walked in these. We had this way of life. We were characterized by sin. But then it's going to go on to describe that. How is it that we walked in these sins? One Number one, it says according to the course of this world. Your Bible might say according to the age of this world. And what that means is, listen, we live in an age that we studied just recently when we were talking about being a church committed to the Word of God. We were in uh, 2 Timothy, and it talks about there's coming this age when people aren't going to want to endure sound doctrine. They're going to be revilers, haters of good, insolent, rebellious. There are all kind of words thrown in to describe the people that live in this age. And it says, it was according to the course of this world, the course of this age. Now, I, I like to think of this. Have any of you ever gone down to the river? You ever seen the river? And the currents flow in one direction, right? I mean, you don't usually find a lot of the water going back up unless there's something really weird going on. So the water's all going with the current. You drop a, a leaf in there, which way is it going? With the current. That leaf isn't just going to suddenly decide, you know what, I'm going to go back upstream and go this way. You know why? Because that takes active work. It's just going to go with the flow. We were in our sin going with the flow of this world. Okay, That's just naturally where everybody is heading. The Bible doesn't tell us that no one seeks God. Isn't that what it tells us in Romans 3? That there was no one seeking Him? And I believe that because the Scripture tells us that. Proverbs uh, fourteen twelve says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. What that means is naturally we just kind of think we're right sometimes when we go our way. But listen, that's the, that's the broad path that leads to death. And we want the narrow path that leads to life. But we were walking according to the course of this world. Look around the world. Do you see this? Look at the age we live in. Do you see sin having its effects? It does. And I don't say that to judge the world because guess what? We all came out of it. And that's what he's pointing out here. Second, he says, we not just are we walking in our sins according to the course of this world, but according to the prince of the power of the air. What do you guys think that means? Who's the prince of the power of the air? Satan. How do we know that? Any thoughts? Uh, just to turn it real quickly, turn over to Ephesians chapter 6. Look down at verse 11. He says, Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil, right? And based on other parts of Scripture, I think that when he says the prince of the power of the air, he's referring to Satan, who he comes back to here in chapter 6. But look at verse 12. It says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Do you hear that? There's a demonic power. There are evil beings. There are spirits. There are 
there is Satan who is at work, and our struggle is it against flesh and blood. We have to be ready to fight sin. We have to be ready to fight the enemy that we know is there. Part of that enemy is right in here because of that sin nature, and part of that seems to be external. But we went according to the course of this world, and we are under the influence of the prince of the power of the air, which I'm defining here as Satan. Now, after that, then he says, also according to the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. That's a nice way of saying those who are characterized by disobedience, by rebellion. All of us were in that same boat, weren't we? We sure were. And I know that because look at verse 3. It says, among them, among the sons of disobedience, we too all formerly lived. You hear that? You ever, you ever want to look at somebody that's lost and they're living just a rebellious life and think, that person's never getting saved. You ever think that? In my flesh, in my weakness, there are times where I think that. But you look at this text and what he's saying is, listen, we were all in that same boat. And he, and he brings us, all of us, and he, he even includes himself. You guys remember what Paul was running around doing, persecuting the church, dragging people out of their homes, approving of their death as they're getting stoned? Paul did some things that were wrong, didn't he? He sure did. And he's saying, listen, we all formerly walked. And he goes on to describe it more. How did we live? In the lust of our flesh, the desires of our body, fleshly desires. We wanted creature comforts. We wanted what we wanted. How many times lately have I said this? Sin so often is selfish. It's about making me the king and deciding that I want what I want. And it describes it, lust of the flesh and then indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Uh, yours may just say doing or carrying out the desires of the flesh. Uh, I like my translation that it's very literal on most things. On this one, they, they took some uh, leeway here. Instead of just saying you, we were doing or acting out or carrying out the desires of the flesh, they use the word indulging. And I like that because when do we indulge in something? Somebody give me an example. What is it? Food, right? Yeah. Yeah, I've been on a diet, but it's been a good week, so I'm going to indulge in some ice cream tonight, right? Uh, you know, indulge is something, you know, maybe I shouldn't do it, but it's going to be good, and it's worth it, right? Well, this is saying, listen, we, we lived according to the lust of the flesh. We wanted what we wanted, and did somebody have to twist our arm to make us sin? They sure don't. We indulged in it. We gloried in it. And that's what the lost people do. And we were the same way. And it talks about the lust of the flesh, these pleasures, but also the mind. That our mind was captivated. Our mind was taken captive in this time. Listen, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Dead people don't walk. I personally don't think dead people do a lot of thinking either. We were enslaved to sin. But notice it gets worse in verse 3. It says, we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. We don't like to talk about wrath these days. We've talked about this here before. Wrath is anger. God's 
righteous anger in this case that we're talking about, that he's going to pour out his anger on a a sinful world. Have have we seen other examples where he's done that in the scripture? Think back about to a giant flood, maybe. All the people were doing wicked things in Noah's day. And so what did he do? He judged the earth. And that's what we learned, that all sin will be punished. That's what we learned in the flood. Except Noah found grace and favor in the eyes of the Lord. And he rescued him. Not because Noah's righteousness, but because God showed him favor and grace. Although we do find Noah described as a righteous man. But was Noah perfect? He sure wasn't. He got in plenty of trouble himself. But listen, we were all by nature children of wrath. That means all of us were deserving of God's punishment. So when God says, listen, I'm going to punish you for your sin, that you are going to die, and even if I cast you into hell, it is what you deserve. That's a hard message, isn't it? But is it the message of the Scripture? It is. Uh, You know, people don't want to talk about God's wrath because we want to think God is love. And he is love, but he's also just. And he also is holy and distinct from sin. And he must punish sin. I told somebody this morning, listen, if I murder someone, if I murder someone and I stand before the judge, and the judge knows I did it and said, you know what, I'm good friends with your parents. You can go. I might be happy about it, but what about everybody else? What about the victim's family? Is that good? Is that just? Well, God looks at our sin, and it's as though we're murderers. And he looks at it and goes, I've got to pour out my wrath. I've got to punish this. And he does. But listen, that's bad news, isn't it? And the good news is for us, verse 4 is going to change everything. But in case you don't believe me about the wrath of God, let me read a couple verses to us real fast. John chapter 3, verse 36. By the way, same chapter as John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life, right? John 3, 36 says, He who believes in the son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. That's a tough message, isn't it? And this is getting broadcast on the internet. I might get in trouble for this, right? May it not be so, because we're going to preach the gospel. And the good news always comes with the truth, with the bad news too. Romans chapter 2, verse 5 says, But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. In other words, in Romans 2, he says, judgment is coming. And if you will stay there in your unbelief and not repent of your unbelief and put your faith in Christ, all you're doing is storing up wrath for the day of judgment. Now, look at verse 4. We're in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. Let's read it. Because we want good news, don't we? It says, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. We'll stop there for a moment. Do you see the distinction? That but, that word separates this passage. It goes from you were dead in your trespasses and sins, all that is laid out, 
But God is rich in mercy. He is rich in love. And though he needs to punish sin, though he must carry out that punishment, he made a plan that we talked about last week. Before the foundation of the world, he chose you in Christ, that you'd be holy and blameless before him in love. So it says he's, he's rich in mercy. And because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, here's the verb, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. Isn't that the miraculous nature of salvation? You were dead, and he made you alive. Death to life. Death to resurrection. He took you a dead man or woman, and he made you alive in Christ. He gave you a new heart. Uh, you don't have to turn there, but listen to Ezekiel chapter 11. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 11, verse, uh, verse 19 and 20. It says, I will give them one heart and put a new spirit within them. I will take the heart of stone out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinance and do them. Then they will be my people and I shall be their God. In that passage, he was already predicting, listen, my people are stubborn. They've got a sin problem. I've got a way to fix it, but it will take a miraculous work of salvation. He is going to have to act and make you alive. And so when any time someone comes to faith in Christ, it is a miracle. And I can't repeat that enough, that we proclaim the gospel. God is doing the work in this. But when they say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner and I need you to save me and rescue me. And I believe in you and I have faith in you. When you call on him and he saves you and he makes you a new creature, that's a miraculous new birth. That is something so wonderful, we can't even begin to imagine it. A dead person is made alive. Now, he goes on and says, he made you alive together with Christ. This doesn't happen on our own. It only happens through Christ. And we know, and we think about the, the symbolism of baptism, the picture of it. Again, you go into the water, you share in his death. You come up out of that water you share and will share in his resurrection, but it is the symbol. You've come out of there. You are a new creature. You have been created as a new person to walk in newness of life. And so all that has happened, but it is because we are now together in Christ. And then he says he raised us up with him. Again, resurrection language. And then he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You know, the scripture says we're going to reign with him. But even now, in a spiritual sense, you're already there. Because you are united with Christ and he's there. And that promise is going to be carried out in the ages to come. And if you look down in the text at the end of verse 7, it tells us why he, or at the beginning of verse 7, it tells us why he did this. Somebody tell me, so that in the ages to come he might what? Show the immeasurable riches of his grace. He's got a I told you before, God wants to be glorified, right? Because he's the only one worthy of being glorified and worshipped. And listen, he wants you to love him. He does, and he deserves it. And what he's said is this, for all the ages to come, from now through all, the end of eternity, which doesn't have an end, so from now forevermore, I'm going to show off 
my surpass, the surpassing riches of my grace in the kindness towards us in Christ. We're never going to get over it. The salvation he did in us when he made you alive for the first time, forgave you of the sin that you had done, when he forgave you, made you alive, made you a new creature. Listen, we're going to sing that story for all eternity. We're going to live in that for the rest of the ages to come. That's why the scripture can say, listen, this momentary light affliction is producing for us this unspeakable glory, this weight of glory that's coming. We have something so much better than we can imagine. But how does all this play out? Look at verse 8. It says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. How are we saved? By grace? By grace, by an undeserved act, and it calls that the gift of God. Anybody know Romans 6, 23? For the wages of sin is death, but what? That's right. Eternal life is the gift of Christ. It's a gift. It's given to us freely, and that should motivate us in everything that we do. But not only that, but how do we receive it? It's there in the text. It says number in verse 9, it says, Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Uh, but we receive it. I was going to come back to that. But we receive it through faith, right? We're saved by grace through faith. How, in other words, it's a free gift. But how do you take that gift in hand? How does it become yours? Well, it does when you declare your faith in him. When you believe and say, I trust you. I know you're going to keep your promises, and I'm asking Jesus to save me. It's all by grace through faith. And listen, it says it's not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. When it says it is not of yourselves, in other words, it preceded as faith. You look at this text, and it's not just your faith that is the gift of God. It is this whole salvation process. That he chose you in him before the foundation of the world that he made a plan to carry it out, that he sent Jesus to die on that cross, that you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and he made you alive. It is all a gift of grace. It's all this free gift that's just being handed out. It's like you won the lottery today. I mean, can you imagine? You didn't even play the lottery, but suddenly you find out you won a billion dollars, and you're like, what do I do with it? We'd be so happy, right? You have something worth a lot more than a lottery ticket. A lot more. And we're going to praise it for all the ages to come. But then verse 9 is important. It says, Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Here's what I want to say about that. When I ask people, even Christians, some of us, we've been in church a long time, what do we have to do to be saved? And the answer always comes out something like, believe in Jesus and go to church and be a good person and do this. We start adding stipulations to the gospel. Now, the truth is, the way this works is, you're supposed to come just through faith. Then he begins to do those good works in you, which we're going to talk about in a minute, but we've got to get the order right. He saves you, he makes you new, he makes you alive, then you can begin to do the good works. Do dead people do good works? They sure don't. You've got to come by faith and be saved by grace 
first. In other words, if you're out there today and you're going, you know, my life, I'm not good enough for Jesus. I got to get my life straightened out. This text is saying, no, that's not the way this works. You come to him messy and as you are, you uh, right now, you repent of your unbelief and you believe, you place your faith in him, call on him. He will save you and then he'll begin to clean your life up. That's the way this works. But so often I find that we naturally begin to make these stipulations. Now, I believe when someone asks me if, I, if I'm trying to make a judgment call, is that person a believer? I believe a, a, good, fruit, a good tree bears good fruit. The bad tree doesn't bear those good fruit. And so sometimes you can begin to kind of look and go, you know, I'm not so certain about that person. And I know that's really between them and God on some levels, but listen, there's some practical considerations for that. But we have to be careful. We have to be really careful with how we approach this because salvation is by grace through faith. But what I normally have this conversation is people have lost loved ones or someone that said, you know, I, pre I came down the aisle when I was a kid. I was seven or eight. I got saved. I got baptized. And then they're asking, well, are, you know, that was, are they really a Christian? Well, how long has that been? I don't know, 30 years? Well, do you see any fruit in their life? Well, no. Do they go to church? No. Well, go and ask them what they believe. And, you know, sometimes they'll tell you, well, I, I did that when I was a kid, but I don't believe it anymore. I'm going to ask you tonight, church. If someone says, I don't believe it, are they a Christian? That's a hard thing to wrestle with, isn't it? But we have to be honest and look at this and go, listen, I think, I believe when you get saved, God does that work in you. He will keep working in you until the end. I don't believe that people fall away from the faith that are genuine believers, but there are a lot of people that come into the church, sit around for a while, observe things for a while, taste it, and then say, you know what? I'm out of here. Sometimes the cares, sometimes the carries, cares and the worries of this world choke that out. And they, and they walk away. And so I will tell you this. Somebody asked, well, how can I be sure? On your deathbed, are you still naming the name of Jesus? And that's what I always tell people. Listen, did you put your faith in him? Yes. Do you believe in him? Do you trust him to, that he paid for your sin? Yes. Then you're saved. Now, there's a lot of, we could say about good works. We don't have time for a lot. But here's the, here's the verse 10. It says, we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for, somebody tell me, what's it say? Good works. He made you a new person. And now that you are in him, reborn, you're supposed to get about the work of the kingdom. He's now going to begin to sanctify you, make you more like Jesus. And it's not perfect. We don't always achieve the goals we set out to. But he's beginning to work in you with the Spirit to help you be more like him. And it says God prepared those works beforehand. He's already told us what to do in the scripture. It's not guessing so that we would walk in them. Now, at the beginning, it talked about how we formerly walked in our trespasses and sins. We were dead. Now, he made us alive. And now we're supposed to walk in the good works that God has prepared for us. Now, we're supposed to put to bed, put to death these old sinful practices and put on the good works. 
But did the good work save us? No. The cross did. That was right in the middle. That took us from death to life. And that is why we can do the good works. But we got to get about the work of the kingdom. Let's pray. Father, tonight I thank you for this message. I thank you for this passage of, in Ephesians. And Father, I thank you that though I, there was a time where I thought I deserved salvation, but Father, I know I never did. Father, we're all saved by grace through faith. It is a gift. And Father, I thank you for that gift. I pray that here at Forest Heights Baptist Church we would rest in Christ, knowing that the work on the cross was sufficient to pay for our sins. And so Father, if there's anyone out here tonight that doesn't know you, that has never called on Jesus to be saved. Father, I pray that even now you convict them with the Spirit, that you would make dead people alive. Father, I pray that you would do it. God, I pray that you would glorify yourself through the church here at Forest Heights Baptist Church. God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.